Kaylee, have you ever seen an American werewolf in London? You're the movie person. More times than I care to say. And <laughs> and we love this episode because it's the second time we get a title card. And it's the second time it's because it's a horror mo- movie, like, illusion. Right. But this time... the other one was Tuesday the 17th. And it was like the camp summer slasher horror. This time we get a creature feature, right? No spoilers yet. I guess, but we're talking about a werewolf movie here. The, the fact that I've seen that any of us saw that movie is definitely my mom's fault. She, it, it's a classic, and she was like, oh, it's so good, and she knew my brother would love it. He was a werewolf obsessive as a kid. Like, loved it. I've seen so many more werewolf movies than I had <laughs> ever intended to, but especially American Werewolf in London. Um, the scene where he first transforms in that movie is iconic like it changed visual effects and 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 movie effects forever i think i have to be real i've never seen the movie you will not see i it. don't know that i ever will but i do feel like i i've seen it because of this episode of psych <laughs> it is so heavy on references to that movie i'm just like i think i've probably seen it now i think i'm good it's in the yeah it's in the it's in the popular zeitgeist you've got it you've ingested it by osmosis <laughs> yeah Ooh, i love it um there's a lot of non-werewolf movie pop culture references too everything in this is an 80s pop culture bonanza and i'm living for it yeah there's I'm ready. There's so much. I'm so ready. Um, speaking of, well, I guess we should probably start the show first. It's showtime. This is to, to the, the blueberry. I am Alexis, and I'm a real-life Gus. I'm Kaylee, and I'm a real-life Sean. And together, we are a best friend duo who decided to start a podcast so we could rewatch our favorite show, Psych. It's going so well. I, I've missed you. This, is, this feels good. <laughs> we are, uh, like, we're on season four, episode eight at this point. Ooh. The next episode is the mid-season break for um, season four. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like, we are moving along. This is crazy. But the episode is actually called Let's Get Harry. But Harry is spelled H-A-I-R-Y. Now, as Kaylee said, that this is an 80s pop culture reference bonanza because that's a reference to Let's Get Harry, H-A-R-R-Y, which was a movie from 1986. See, I didn't even catch that one. What 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 was that one about? Oh, I don't know. I just saw the reference and I was like, cool. Let's Get Harry. Wow. Yeah, I was like, that one doesn't really hit like other like other title references do. No, I knew it was something. I was like, this is a reference to something, but I don't know what it is. And then I was like, oh, yep, let's get Harry. That's exactly what it is. When, a Col- when Colombian revolutionaries kidnap an American engineer, his brother and friends faced with official inaction, hire a mercenary and mount the rescue operation themselves. That sounds bonkers. Let's get Harry. Do you know who's in it? No. Um, Mr. Tom Wilson, who we'll meet in in just a little while in this episode. And also, 
Yep, Jake Ryan himself from Sixteen Candles. <laughs> Who didn't do that many movies before, you know, living his best normie life. Right. But Gary Busey's in that one. Ooh, and he's another, like, werewolf movie star. Gosh, how did I miss this entire reference? This is chock full. Okay, wow. Go us. Robert Duvall's in it. Dang. Mark Harmon is in it. Ooh. Everyone loves Mark Harmon. Okay. I do. So, My goodness. This sounds like a crazy movie. I don't think I'll watch it, but this is good to know. Good and in- rich information, y'all. <laughs> Yes, yes. If somebody has watched it and they want to, like, tell us whether or not it's worth watching, email us at to the blueberry podcast at gmail.com. Please email us. That would be, that would be a yes. shock and exciting. We're four, four and a half seasons in and we have yet to get an email, but girl, one day. <laughs> just, just spam us a little. We don't even care. Yeah, just anything. Well, every once in a while, like, I get a... Like, Google has updated its privacy policies sort of email from Google. And I get really, really excited because there's an email in that account. And then I'm just like, aww. That's sad. We start in 1989 with little baby Sean and little baby Gus walking through the woods. I wrote we start with the fake wolf howl stock sound. That's true, too. If you've ever heard actual wolf howling it does not sound like that stock sound that we know from every shot of the moon in a movie ever. <laughs> there is a um, there is a howling sound that comes up later in the episode, and my captions actually said coyote howling. Okay. Now that's a lot more so. haunting to me personally because I believe that coyotes are demons. Um, but <laughs> that's a story for another I don't, day. I don't, <laughs> like I don't believe that they're demons, but. They're real, and uh, they are in my area. I wrote a whole fiction story about that because they are everywhere on the North American continent. Literally everywhere. Oh. The only animal to exist in every continental United States state, including Alaska, which is still continental, but separated by Canada. (laughs) By, yeah. Yeah, they're everywhere. That's crazy. I had no idea. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, they have left their troop to use their real skills. Yeah, we've got to really test our skills, Gus. Um, and then I wrote animal sounds, forest noises, Gus is real jumpy. And out pops Henry. <clears throat> or they, like, run up on Henry. At one point, Gus said, Dag Nabbit, what is that, Sean? <laughs> and Sean just goes, run! So they run into Henry, and he's like, this is probably the dumbest thing you've ever done. You're running off to the forest. Do you know how dense this forest is? Dense enough for a werewolf to run amok and swallow me like a Rolo. <laughs> That's such a little cute baby thing Gus. for Gus he's, to say. He's so cute. He I is know. a little Rolo. Shoot. <laughs> um, um, Henry says, your mind can be convinced of anything by fear, but fear does not exist in this dojo, does it? Karate Kid. John Kreese himself, baby, Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole bunch more creepy noises, and Henry's like, um, deuces, and they all run. Yeah, we're out of here. And then yeah. back in the present day, get ready for the Royal it's Rumble! The, the WWE Royal Rumble. 
was on television, which I think was airing on USA Network at the time. Ooh, oh, that's exciting. And so I, I think it was an internal, like an internal uh Like we're allowed USA to do preference. this because the... Right. Yeah, network. Which makes sense because later on, a couple of times later on, we're going to get WWE stars as guest stars. True enough. Hot yeah. dang. Ooh, I think it might be this season too. Really? It might. Oh, I think we do get our first one this season. Guys, guys. That one's for real. <laughs> if it's the one I'm thinking about. Okay. Um, Sean and Gus have dolls. Yeah, they're dressing like baby up dolls. Like like infant looking baby dolls on Gus's yeah. side. Uh, they dress them up like classic wrestlers. Yeah, they both went retro. Sean has dressed this little one up as Hacksaw Jim Duncan. J- Jim Duncan. And Is he it Duggan? has a little. Duncan? Duncan? I read D U G G A N? Dugan? Duggan? Dugan. Dugan, yeah. Oh, okay. Duggan. I don't know. He has a, a tongue thermometer. Tongue, tongue thermometer. Not thermometer. What's that called? Compressor? Thank you. Taped to his hand because um, Hacksaw always had a two by four. And he was the actual winner of the first Rumble in 1988. Gus also went retro with the junkyard dog. Um, his The butt of his pants says thump and... Sean says he's missing an unruly beard, but he's Sylvester Ritter, a.k.a. Junkyard Dog. Rest in paradise. Uh, and he has, th- like like Kaylee said, thump on his butt that's followed by a what? Gus says, is it weird we're still? Sean thinks yes. Yes, this might have to be yeah. the last year for the dolls. And Gus is like, they decide to cover them. Yeah, because they're creepy. Yeah. And then Sean goes, hurry up. <laughs> In comes a dude, and he is looking for the psychic. Please say you're the psychic detectives, please. I'm a psychic. This is just a guy with a magic eight ball head. Um, my name is Stuart Gimbley, and I need you to lock me up and observe me overnight. Please, you're my last hope. Stuart Gimbley is played by Joshua Molina, Mal- um, who was also on West Wing with Dooley Hill. Uh, Hill. Yes, he's a yep. very uh, recognizable character actor. Yeah, yeah. I, we all knew who he was the moment he came in. Yes. Um, he takes out a he, gun. He uh, pulls out a gun. Panic. Panic ensues. He's like, no, no, no. This is for your protection. And then he also puts down a handful of silver bullets. Uh, what is that called? Foreshadowing? <laughs> so... Um, He's like, look, I um, I already tried the cops, and the detective there told me that jail is for criminals and not delusional wackadoos. Then he pinched himself and sent me to you guys. And what exactly does this detective look like? Think Robert Goulet, dressed like Mr. Bean, playing the Scarecrow in a summer stock production of The Wizard of Oz dedicated to Tony Randall? That's the perfect description of Lassiter. <laughs> Very much so. I don't know that I've ever heard a more per- perfect description of Lassiter. I also like that... Um, Scarecrow keeps that coming back. Stu, Stu makes a Scarecrow reference. Because first of all, we had the episode where he w- where his partner was calling him Scarecrow. Stu makes a reference to Scarecrow. And then we get another reference to Scarecrow later on in this episode. Yes, yes we do. It just it's hilarious. Stop. Um, so Gus is like, why do you need to be locked up? 
Uh, he believes that he is a lichen. Oh, he's almost positive. Like seaweed? No, it's a drop fruit. Oh, you mean, <laughs> oh, you mean lychee, the sheep's wool. <laughs> and Gus goes, no, lycanthrope, like, like a werewolf? The, the stew throws down a newspaper, and the first thing we see is D's nuts. It's an advertisement for D-E-E apostrophe S nuts. This joke does not need to be present in this episode as many times as it is. Yeah, I, it, it comes, like, it, it, it's a joke that I guess is, I guess is funny. It's but like a visual gag and, and, a, and a... Kind and of cheap. Yeah. I, yeah, it feels yeah. cheap. <laughs> it's not my fave. <laughs> the he flips over the paper, and there's an article about someone killing a lamb, and the article is actually titled "Slaughtered Lamb," which is another an American werewolf in London reference because the pub from that movie was called the Slaughtered Lamb. Girl, I did not dive that deep. I know that they're out in the moors. Don't stray from uh, the path. I don't know. Fair, fair statement, uh, but I didn't dive that deep either. I just uh, grabbed the Amazon fun facts <laughs> because I knew I wasn't going to get like any of these references. Stuart says, I think I did this and I was going to ask my sister to lock me up, but I love her and I fear for her safety. So here I am. <laughs> They're, the boys are kind of like, mur, mur, mur about it. And, and then the he said, I will pay you thrice your normal rate. So in a little aside, Sean is like, well, I'm definitely not doing this for half. Thrice means three times. They ultimately agree. No, you haven't. <laughs> they ultimately agree to watch him. But there are house rules as follows. One. No talking during the rumble. Two. You live at sunrise and never, ever, ever come back. Three. If you touch the quattro's queso sofritos, I will take you down using basic traditional beginner's karate. Stu is very thankful and asks them to tie his limbs as best they can. <laughs> There's this weird ongoing thing with um, Stu and who will eventually meet as Stu's sister, where they're speaking in this very, like, theatrical, dramatic way of speaking. Tie my limbs as best you can. Uh, like, but they also, they also drop that and become very, like, normal at other points. There's a very obvious reference. There's two very, like, obvious points of that later, but I just think it's kind of weird. It's, I, I like what this show did with, like, just, like, the goth. And so, okay, here's the thing. I have to nitpick just real, real quick, and I'll stop bringing this up. But goth is like a subculture that mostly centers around music and an aesthetic that goes along with certain goth genre music. Now, in this, they're using goth as a shorthand for people who are into the occult. And this is a great way to avoid the very uh, offensive trope of having a quote-unquote, and I'm sorry to use this word, gypsy caravan or uh, a group of Romani people or people who are fortune tellers that often show up in werewolf creature features like traditionally mm -hmm. and so I think just using like weird goth kids is just like I mean they're not gonna care that much <laughs> yeah 
No, and, and I think it's very, I think it's very funny, and they do it in a way that's like so. Uh, okay, we'll get there. They, the The decision to do this was for the joke, and it was a good. It was a good decision. Yeah this this running this running thing they're doing it keeps paying off. I think. Yeah, the very next scene is Stu tied up with um, duct tape and uh, looks like kite string, which we later later find out it is um the boys are watching the rumble but Stu is sitting behind them and he's not even like watching the rumble he's staring at the moon and i'm just like come on john and gus at least watch let him watch the rumble with you guys why are you facing the other direction (laughs) they said they were going to throw him in a corner and just let him hang out um i don't think he's interested in the rumble he's like really preoccupied with his anxiety about the moon so i think that was maybe him turning and and yeah yeah Okay. It's a quick scene that is followed by some white noise and the boys asleep being suddenly awoken. Severely awoken. Yeah. Suddenly awoken by a window crash and Stu is gone. And there's fur on the window pane? I called it the hair of the beast. <laughs> Good one. So we get like this sort of like strained film spin out and then our title card and then our credits. It's a super short, uh, it's a super short credits, which Amazon oddly enough put in as like a fun fact. And I was just like, they use these short credits all the time. Why is this listed as a fun fact? But hmm. okay. The very next scene, we see some hunters who have, um, who have night vision goggles and they are scoping out to shoot some deer. Now, no, no, a baby deer. My, my, um, oh, yeah, my notes say, it's a baby, guys, come on. Like, no, don't do that. I don't, I, like, hunting is not something that I think is necessarily a bad thing, but you don't kill a baby. And you don't kill a mom that's with a baby. Like, okay, yeah, there are, where we come from, like, hunting is a thing, and it's mostly because... In our areas, because humans live there, the deer have no natural predators. And if they overpopulate, they can get a very gruesome zombie-like disease called wasting. And to help keep those populations in check, like, you're allowed to hunt. You have to get a permit. You get so many you're allowed to to tag Uh um, per season, per hunter. And, like, there are rules. There's, like, ethics to how it's done and how it's not done and this is very much not right. not how anyone does it or should do it and i think that's the point they're making like let's send bambi back to his mama cut to Boo. them being that's attacked by that. something i mean instant karma here yep. you guys <laughs> one of them gets taken down from behind the other one starts freaking out and then the other one gets taken down from behind um at the santa barbara police department lassie is wearing a monocle Sean and Gus are watching him uh, silently as he reads a file and he turns around and is startled by them and gets very flustered about being startled by them because he has told Sean not to do that. It's like watching someone when they're asleep. Sean, Sean said, why were you reading that file like Mr. Peanut? Okay, actually, um, I was curious, and there are many military strategists throughout history who it, actually, I do not need to explain myself to the likes of you. They throw down the paper, and once again, we see these nuts. nuts. <sighs> these it's nuts. like eye rolls, I'm again. sorry. Yeah. Um, Gus 
asks, or Gus flips the paper and then asks if uh, Lassiter remembers Stuart. Oh, that guy. And cut to wolf joke. I just wrote wolf joke. Yay hi, yellow eyes, house of the moon. Sean says, yeah, well, last night he was chained up in uh, our office for a little light observation and he escaped, broke through our double-paned window, and is now God knows where. It's not even kind of double pain. Lester's like, wait, he broke through his chains? Okay, figuratively speaking, it was actually duct tape and kite string. So why don't you go look for him where he works? And he hands them a business card. The boys ask Lassie if he will pay for the window to be fixed. (laughs) That's a hard pass. But they look at the business card, and it's for a place called Occultopus. And that is where um, that is where Stu told Lassie that even though he wouldn't help him, he could go to have his palm read by his sister Willow. Sean's like, "All right, well, you sure you don't want to tag along?" I would rather adopt a child. <laughs> so Lassie, that's a weird. I would rather for for Lassie. I prefer. I would rather. Sh- I would rather shower with a bear, just, like, as a as a thing. At this stage in his arc, does he seem to give off the paternal vibes, though? That's fair. <laughs> so He does later. Yeah, or, he later. does, yeah. Um, he walks away, and Gus is like, so occultopus? And Sean's like, but first. Jules! Sorry, Sean, no time for your tomfoolery and silliness. That also goes for your nonsense, malarkey, and shenanigans. Okay. We actually need a favor, and it's legit. I promise. Gus pulls out this, like, old little plastic coin purse because it's the only thing they had that was sterile. How is that thing sterile? I don't know, but Juliet used to have one just like it with Wonder Woman's face on it. Me too, says Gus. Go Gus. <laughs> they they show Juliet the hair on the inside, and they ask her to let them know if it is a wolf or a were-hybrid. And she just kind of looks at them and they're like, yes, yes, wolf or wolf or were hybrid. Please, Jules, this could be a matter of life or death or mange. She's just sort of like, um, uh, okay. Sweet. Use the bat phone. And they run away. <laughs> Super dialogue heavy. This episode is like chock full of those funny moments. And I wrote down so many of them. So we get to enjoy doing that. <laughs> Yeah, we're on, like, scene four, and we're 23 minutes into recording. I mean, it took so long to do these notes. I can't. Okay, so we go to a cultibus. And Gus instantly walks over to a bookshelf, which, man after my own heart. Sean follows him and pulls a book off of the shelf, which leads the bookshelf to spin. Gus is stuck on it and is now lost behind the wall. Um... And then uh, Sean sees a lady walk out, and he starts to introduce himself while putting the book back and stepping away. The bookshelf spins back, and we see Gus again. It's very Scooby-Doo. I love everything to do with it. It doesn't come back. They spent this money on this gag just for the fun. That's not a cheap joke. That's a good joke. Like, like that was super humorous. And it's very, like... um, reminiscent of not just scooby-doo but of the fact that like these people are into the occult these people are into like weird things and changes and so they have a magic they have a magic spinning 
uh, bookcase. Also, this is a buddy comedy, and it's very Abbott and Costello. I love it. <laughs> we meet Willow, who I will forever know as Alex, Alex Mack. Mack. Or Bianca Stratford from 10 Things I Hate About You. The name Willow is actually a reference to Buffy, Buffy the, the Vampire, Vampire Slayer. Slayer. <laughs> right. Because the character, the character named Willow actually was dating the guy who was the werewolf. For a while, yeah. And um, he was yeah. played by Seth Green, who is one of my big childhood crushes. He introduces himself and my associate, Ron Davis, a.k.a. Bob, Bob Adams, known to his coven simply as Rich Fingerland. Willow's like, you're a warlock? And Gus is like, no, but Halle Berry calls me black magic. You've never met Halle Berry. Yes, I did, Sean, on the set of Gothica. There's a whole, like, oh, yeah, I have to support my friend who's lying going on. Um, so are you Willow? And she's like, that depends. And he's like, well, is your brother the guy who might be a werewolf? She breaks down and she kind of tells them this, his, his, uh, current background which was he was bitten by a beast he has been acting weirdly and blacking out a lot lately uh, they were in the woods and he was making water when he was bitten it was the dick and smith wilderness in saint inez dick smith was supposed to be a reference to something in the fen facts but i didn't write down what he's a painter i think oh maybe i don't know or a writer or something yeah but yeah, so he um, went to pee and he got bitten by a beast. And he won't let her or any of the other shaman in their coven help him because he's fearful of their safety. Me or any of the other shaman in our healing rhombus for fear of harming us. <laughs> and then the, the very next thing she says is, oh, it's really sinking in. My big bro. So they just say the most off-the-wall nonsense things, like, with a totally straight face. And it just, it really does, like, nail the funny for this episode. I, yeah. I love I love what they're doing. The boys want to help. Willow thinks that, oh, I'm yawning, come on. Well, Gus wants to know, or Sean says, uh, do you know where he maybe is now? Willow thinks he's probably hiding because this is the third full moon. Well, not totally full at all. Just especially Gibbon. Gibbous. And Gib you skipped Gibbous. a really and great Gus moment. Oh. Gus Go says, we're fearless and we're trying to help. And one of us is single. Oh. And clearly goth curious, says Sean. That's it. <laughs> the especially Gibbous moon is going to make him want to feed. Uh, and Sean sees this picture of of Stuart and his friends at a... Is that a Shangri-La's? Yeah. Sean is like, who are those people and why? <laughs> they are all part of the same therapy group. And um, Stuart knows someone who works there and got him a great birthday deal package. Yeah, something about they were allowed to bring their own vampire geisha. What? <laughs> Gus hits on her some more. He 100% does the... This is my business card and my personal phone number is written on the back in pencil. Um, I don't have anything else for this scene because once they leave, I've got walk and talk. Yep, walk and talk. Gus does not like the fact that Stuart has been bitten. He thinks this is above their pay grade. Gus, Gus don't be the third Thompson twin with the dreads. Um, Gus says, 
Her weird, sexy makeup is just a cry for help, meaning she's looking for a strong man with a solid job. He makes a reference to Vampyra, or Sean does, but I didn't catch the whole reference. I just know it was there. So, Vampyra, yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then Henry calls. As we're stepping into the blueberry. He needs a survival basket with a couple of sandwiches, mayo, no mustard, plenty of electrolyte fluids, and a flashlight. They need to be ham sandwiches on stone ground wheat. Okay, Henry. Okay. Um, and he wants Sean to bring this to him at Ledbetter Beach. Because uh, it's personal. So His nemesis is there. Yeah, so once he gets off the phone with Sean, we are now, like, wherever Henry is at Ledbetter Beach. And he's staring down none other than Biff from Back to the Future across the bed of this truck. And they're in one of those keep-touching-it-to-win-it, like, contests. How much does it cost to enter one of these contests? Because you're winning an entire I, vehicle. I don't think it usually does. What? Yeah. Biff, who whose actual name in this episode is Butch. Um, goes, no mercy, Spencer. And and I did not write down the dude's actual name. I just know him as Biff. Yeah, so he is Tom Wilson, and he was in Let's Get Harry. Also, no mercy feels like a Cobra Kai reference. I just, just gonna. <laughs> the very next scene is naked stew covered in dirt and blood laying outside with dramatic horror music playing. And we see two dead hunter guys beside him in the woods. At the Santa Barbara Police Department, Juliet tells Lassiter about this new death of the hunters that, again, looked like an animal attack. It was six miles from where that lamb was torn to pieces. And Lassiter gets up and he's like, oh my god, this is my worst nightmare. Spencer is going to be calling me at any moment. But he's ready to go check it out. Uh, but Juliet needs to stop by the ladies' room first, but she actually needs to sneak down to the lab to get that hair tested. Where the heck is the lab? Is it supposed to be in this building? Because it feels like it's not. <laughs> um, back to the psych office. The glass... The window's fixed. Yeah, the glass has been fixed, and Sean is sweeping up um, debris, and Gus is on the computer going, this is getting serious. And Sean says, ooh, Stuart's bag is still here. What are you doing? I didn't write this down. I know he says something flip. <laughs> Preparing to play hot cross buns on the recorder. What does it look like I'm doing? That's an invasion of his privacy. I don't know what Gus says here. Um, I'm pretty sure the privacy barrier went out the window when you duct taped his thighs together, which is a Breakfast Club reference. Also, he said that was to restrict his hip mobility, Sean. Um, but Sean is rummaging and he finds us like a squeaky animal toy and then a prescription bottle for Haloperidol? They do, do, do. Nope. Gus says that Haloperidol is traditionally used to treat schizophrenia, reduce aggression towards others, and along with another medication can control hiccups. Anyway, um, the doctor's name is Dr. Ken Tucker, which we should just get this out of the way, is the name of a guy from Entertainment Weekly who was roasting the show on the regular. So they decided to put him in the show as a character name. No spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> 
but um he is a psychiatrist and he is not on gus's route dude this is like the first time we've had a doctor uh bearing on a case that isn't on your route streaks are meant to be broken sean so he apparently sean steals his aftershave oh yeah yeah he does he thinks it smells good um yeah. Uh, but the guy's apparently doing really well for himself because he just moved to a new swanky office. So they're off to visit Dr. Ken Tucker. Um, I wrote Psych on Psych. Mutual? Psych on Psych. A psychic for a psychiatrist? Uh, I didn't follow you there. We meet Myrtle, who is the um, like the administrative person working for Dr. Ken Tucker, and she just has a picture, a signed picture of John Stamos. I on was her gonna say that's like that's desk. like Full House young John Stamos framed and autographed. It, yeah, like like season one mullet John Stamos. It's a it's a weird funny touch. I like and it's it. It's facing towards the customer on her reception desk. We get a a nice introduction here where Sean says, my name is R.P. McMurphy, and this is my partner, Cheswick. We both have some faulty wiring up in the noggin, and I'm afraid we're going to have to talk to the doc. They're both characters from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. (laughs) She shuts them down hard and fast. No can do, sailor. Push on. Is there some sort of, like, standby spot? And he's just fully shot down again. He's like, Gus, help. You have ten seconds to make, like, my third husband and disappear. Um, Gus is like, when is the next available? And she goes, late April. Now hit the bricks. Late April 2011. This was 2009. Oh my god, seriously, I missed that. Like, I... Time machine. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, um, she gets a phone call and starts freaking out about what's going on in this phone call and then runs into the office. Sean has divined that there are patient information um, stats on her computer, so he goes to go around, but we hear from the office, Don't touch me! Don't tell me to calm down. So he's gonna snoop the computer, but he needs Gus's phone because he left his in the blueberry, and Gus doesn't want to hand it over. There's a really nice little um, whisper fight that happens. Gus gives in, and Sean looks at Gus's phone and sees a picture of him with Ruiz the koala. Um, are my eyes seeing what my brain is is being told by my eyes that they're seeing, or something like that? <laughs> Ruiz was nestling Gus, and uh, he made the first move. But Gus um, supports the Bear With Me Foundation um, to help little guys like this who are unique and beautiful animals. This is a funny sort of thing. Um, Because of another thing that happens later. So he supports a foundation to protect unique and beautiful animals. Put that on pause. Okay. So, um, we don't draw attention to it, but the background of Myrtle's computer is like a like an open-jawed great white shark. Just full teeth-bearing monstrosity. Out comes the girl that we had heard screaming in the office, and she is super embarrassed to be seen in front of the boys. 
Yeah, because they are still at the reception area, even though Myrtle clearly dismissed them like 15 times by now. But they did get pictures from her computer before they scuttled back around and looked like innocent bystanders. Myrtle calls them dumber than a sack of nuts or something like that. She's like, yeah, "Yeah, don't mind them. They're dumber than rain. Um, And then she's like, I'll see you next week. And then the girl is like, no, you won't. And she hugs her. And Myrtle's like, what are you talking about? Now, don't go doing anything you're going to regret, dearie. Remember why you came to us. So, (coughs) I don't quite understand that statement. I think, and this this is a little bit of like a spoiler for a minute from now, but um, I think it has to do with the way in which her husband died, which is very Stephen King, Gerald's game. Um, And... Like, that's why she came, and, like, I don't want to armchair diagnose people, but this girl's not making great sexual decisions for herself, um, <laughs> and I don't know what Myrtle knows or doesn't know, but I don't think we like Myrtle very much. Yeah, no. Uh, okay, I'll agree with that statement for sure. Um, as the lovely lady walks out, uh, everyone checks out her butt. It's real male-gazy and weird. Um, and then when the boys finally leave, they're further objectifying this lady as she walks onto the bus. Um, Gus says something gross, and Sean is like, but doesn't that smoking hot mess, like, seem familiar to you? Which, it's not a phrase I love, but it does roll off the tongue nicely. (laughs) In come Juliet and Lassiter, and Lassie goes, all right, let's hear it. For who? The boys? That's back at the office on, on Gus's iPod. I love that song. <laughs> Jules says, um, well, there's been another animal attack, and it was hunters this time. Sean is like, ooh, guess who's jumping on the Black and Tan Express? They're, uh, uh, Sean and, no. Lassiter and Juliet are on their way to talk to the doctor, and um, Sean doesn't think that they're going to have much luck, because Sean and Gus didn't have much luck. And good luck getting past his pit bull. They ask Juliet kind of on an aside if she's heard anything about the hares yet. They haven't. And it's it's kind of whatever. We go back into our little walk and talk, and Sean's like, I just don't believe that Stu could have done this. And... Gus is like, I still don't think that we should be handling this case. Like, the cops are actually on it now. Like, they're going to figure it out. And Sean says, we can't turn away every werewolf case that comes to us. People will start to talk. And then he sort of... Sean remembers... Yeah. Oh. He psychs out. Yeah, Sean remembers the picture from the, uh, from Occultopus with his, uh, therapy group, and... There is a picture of that lady, or I'm sorry, that lady is in the picture. And so they look at the um, the files that they just, you know, snap pictures of, and they got the the name Palexia Lee, who is a bartender at Shangri-La's. Palexia wasn't that Anna Paquin's name in Almost Famous? Anna Paquin was in Almost Famous. <laughs> so. And yes, yes, it was. Yes, yes, it was. Um, Lassie and Jules are squaring off with Myrtle at Dr. Ken Tucker's office, and, um, she's trying to give them the brush off. She calls him a scarecrow. Oh, yes. It's, well, well, if it ain't little Dorothy and her pal Scarecrow, where's the Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion? 
So he takes out his badge as the Tin Man, and then he pulls out his gun as Toto. Sorry, I lost my place. So she goes to actually get the doctor, and they get in to see Dr. Ken Tucker, who is... Who is played by David Naughton? Is that how you pronounce his name? David Naughton. And he was the... He was the title character in An American Werewolf in London. Yes, yes, he was. So that's why we talked about that so much in our opening. Um, uh, Ken Tucker thinks that Stu has a very active imagination, but does not really want to tell the cops much about what they talked about in their sessions because he took an oath. Um, HIPAA violation. Um, Lassie's really judgy of all the taxidermy in this guy's office because this guy's going on and on about how well he's actually done for himself, as you can see. And in my professional opinion, he's a very sick young man. Um, but I just want to do what's best to protect him from himself. Someone has to. Juliet is very concerned and we, we do get that Stu has been getting worse lately and that he's been very emotional lately. And someone needs to save him from himself. So we go to Shangri-La's. And if it isn't Polexia behind the counter as the bartender. Her makeup is so fun. Um, Sean orders Gus a Roy Rogers. What? Which is just a Coke with a whole um, bunch yeah, of Yeah, usually grenadine. It's like a, like a, a weird old-fashioned sort of cherry Coke. Um, which I'm always down for a mocktail, especially the high sugar ones. Shirley Temples, Roy Rogers. I love me a Shirley Temple. A little later, Sean's going to order himself a slow gin fizz, hold the gin, extra fizz, which is just like a carbonated lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. They said, um, hey, do you, do, oh, don't, don't we know you from Dr. Ken Tucker's? And she straight up denies being they one of his They also introduced themselves as, um... Uh, as people who need to see Dr. Um, Ken Tucker, because my friend Harry Monroe here, he's just stir-crazy, which was Richard Pryor's name in the movie, stir-crazy. And uh, his friend Skip, who has like dreams about firemen. <laughs> That's it. She tells Sean and Gus that she does know Stu, but she refers to him as that little weirdo, and uh uh, he got they the little. She got him a deal at the for for birthday or something for his birthday yeah, at Shangri La. Yeah, he told me once that his dad is some kind of a demon rabbi. She will not be seeing Ken Tucker very much anymore. And in fact, no one will be. But that's more than Copy? she should be able to say right now. Um, there are lots of shrinks in this town, so you'd be best to find another one. After Sean orders his drink, Gus asks for more cherries. We go back to the psych office after our very delicious cocktails, and um, Sean instantly stops them as soon as they walk in because he sees, like, bare footprints leading to their closet. He hands Gus this, like, giant fly swatter, and then he takes an ice scraper, both of which they just have kind of sitting by the door, and they open up the door to the closet, and they find Stu. Covered in balloons. Which is an American werewolf in London trope because after his initial turning and when he wakes up naked, he steals a little kid's balloons to cover himself. Stu is absolutely frightened and he holds up his hand and there is a pentagram branded into his hand and he just goes, help me, please help me. I have a question. If we can circle back to the ice scraper, 
Santa Barbara. Yeah. No. Okay. I'm with you on that one. I just wrote giant brush because you don't see the ice scrapey part of it. But I was like, what else could have a giant brush like that? Yeah. That, I mean, that's what it was, which would make sense because they're actually in Vancouver. Oh. <laughs> so um, after the commercial break that it wasn't there, um, Gus is like, listen, we can't really talk things out until we get this wardrobe situation under control. Like, he's very upset, and the balloons keep popping, so he's becoming more upset. <laughs> Stu's like, um, oh, Gus said, you can wear my old Halloween costume. It is, that happens to be in the office. And they send him back um, to find said costume. Um, and Sean is just like, Something still feels off about all of this. And then suddenly Stu is back dressed and Sean says, that was impossibly fast. Stu has no idea who this costume is. Um, Dwayne Cleefus Wayne, the ladies man with a plan. Did you never watch TV? From a again? different, <laughs> not after Poltergeist. But this is from a different world, right? Is that? Yeah, it's a different world. And uh, he even put on the sunglasses. And so and Gus tells him that he's putting them in kind of a tight spot coming back to the psych office. Poor Stu. He says he's going to turn himself in. He, he knows that waking up next to those hunters was probably something, but he's never done anything like this before in his life. He's never but there's no evidence proving that it couldn't be him. Yeah, there's no evidence to the contrary. It's just like, it looks like me. All the evidence points to me. I must be doing these things, even though that's like less than out of character for me. He does have a theory, however, that his father might actually be a demon and that he might be spawned from demon seed. And Gus says, Palexia wasn't kidding. At least I think it was Gus. I wrote it down as Gus, but it might have been Sean. Stu goes, the Black Widow? The, the Black Widow? What are, you, what are you talking about? We get uh, her story, which is that she was once married to this guy uh, who, you know, couldn't grow hair. What's that called? Bald. Alopecia. <laughs> um, That's the fear of bees, uh, Gus. <laughs> so she was married to him, and she had sort of a very um, um, spicy, kinky sexual style. So one day, she's got him all tied up to the bed. You know, all the bells and whistles. And then he has a heart attack and dies. Uh, she was part of their group group therapy, but she uh, doesn't isn't part of it any longer. It's also important to note that she often dominated those group sessions. Like, it was only her problems, but then she we all mostly dealt with it because she had impeccable buttocks. Like a voluptuous posterior or yeah. something like that but maybe that's what he but said it all ended for her being in group therapy when she threatened the doctor during one session so after that she only did one-on-ones which i don't think you're supposed to keep you know therapizing someone who's threatening you i mean we know why later <clears throat> but that's a different story altogether uh, actually, no, it's the same story. It's this story. They are like, we are going to take Stu back to Willow. Um, no, no, you can't. And I want you to stay there until you hear from us. You are not evil. You are part of someone else's plan. Yeah, nefarious plan. Um, let's see. Oh, 
And Stu goes, me? Why? And Sean goes, because you're vulnerable. And you look like that. And you believe in weird things. Stu, Stu said, do you really think I'm going to be okay? And Sean said, I mean, you're still a weird little dude. And you'll probably be single for quite some time. But I think I can keep you out of jail. Deal? We like that, at least. I think he's being psychic here. They are leaving a cultipus, and uh, out come Stu and Willow right behind them. Stu is completely wrapped in chains. Actual chains this time. And Willow calls out, be careful. And Gus is like, I've got this. John has a plan, as he always does. First, they have to take the cooler to Henry, and then they're going to break into Ken Tucker's office. Yeah, lay low till the doctor's office closes, finesse our way inside, and find the evidence that it's actually Polexia behind the, all the nefariousness. Juliet calls on their ride to see Henry, and she said it was just wolf hair. Actual, authentic wolf hair. Juliet also is very worried about the boys based on what Ken Tucker told them about about Stu. Um, yeah, he's a very troubled young man and I don't have anything else for um, this. Then we go to the well, Gus now. is like, hey, who was that? And Sean goes, oh, wrong number. And then makes this face. Like he's trying to hide the fact that it was actual hair from Gus. We go back to the marina and it's Henry versus Zelensky, his old nemesis from the force. There are only 10 people left. And um, all Sean really wants is help from Henry on the case, because this is a case like none other. And Sean is sensing some bitter history between you and Sam Elliott's younger brother, Harlan. Mostly when, uh, when Butch goes, oh, daddy got a care package. He makes fun of Sean. Henry makes fun of his daughter. They have like an old man off. It's weird. The guy, Tom Wilson, is the kind of person who doesn't look like they're aging. Like, his skin looks baby soft under his facial hair. I agree. Yeah. And, like, wait, he's supposed to be Henry's age? (laughs) Which, he's an older gentleman, but, like, baby soft skin. Um, Henry's like, I don't have time for distractions right now. I need to focus on this truck. And Sean's like, all right, well, let me give you some tips. He, he's psyching out through the whole conversation. And he's like, first of all, that guy's not a truck guy. He's going to be out. There's a germaphobe over there. Sneeze in her direction. That dude just wants to get his hands on that lady. And Henry goes, dang, I didn't catch the germaphobe. Which is kind of Henry's way of being like, I'm so proud yeah. of you. <laughs> Sean gives him a fake high five. Henry almost goes for it, but Sean catches him and puts his hand back on the truck. Focus. In the blueberry. All right, then we go back to the doctor's office. We get a, wait for it. Sean is going, wait for it. Sean, you took a picture of the man's schedule. It is not impressive that you know approximately when he's going to be leaving the office. Wait for it. <laughs> They, he leaves, uh, Dr. Ken Tucker leaves, the boys go inside, and they decide that they're going to hide in a toilet stall, specifically in the women's restroom. Why are we in the women's restroom, restroom Sean? Um, they're trying to hide from Myrtle, but if they were in the men's bathroom, she probably wouldn't go in there. And then in comes Myrtle. 
And then she's putting on lips, lip gloss in the mirror. She's like with a wand and everything, lip gloss in the mirror. And the boys are peeking over, which she would see them if they were peeking over and she wasn't being paid to not pay attention to mm-hmm. that. And she's like, are you ready for this night train, Johnny Murdoch? <laughs> and then she leaves and she shuts off the light and they're in the pitch dark. And Sean just goes, dude, you wish you were Johnny Murdoch. <laughs> They break into Ken Tucker's office, and Sean says, never underestimate the Swiss. And he's referring to his Swiss army knife again. We talked about the Swiss army knife before. I'm going to talk about it again. I want everyone to put a big old pin in that. Okay. Um, so we're searching in the dark with flashlights for Polexia's file. And any snacks. Gus says, um... I'm only doing this because Stuart might, might be innocent. And and because you want to get into weird things with his sister or something like that. No, you want to have a half black frozen bulk baby with his sister. That's what? it. Oh, what would you even name them? Oh, Gus says, um, oh, I don't have the names, but Gus has a plan. Oh, yeah. Um, if it's a girl, Lavender, obviously. And if it's a boy, DeAndre Pride Guster. Gus thinks he found Polexia's file, but the actual file itself is missing. Like, the tab with her name on it is there, but nothing's inside. And then he's like, okay, we'll check for stews. And... It bad. While Sean... Or, I'm sorry, why Henry? Nope. While Gus is reading... <laughs> While Gus is reading Stu's file, um, Sean borderline finds, homicidal. Yeah, Sean finds a uh, finds a pair of underpants in Ken Tucker's desk, which is they're weird. electric I'm sorry. blue sheer leopard print. And uh, Sean has a flashback to staring at um, at Palexia's butt, and he goes, "Gus, I don't think she was wearing underwear." Why is this a plot point? Why is staring at a woman's posterior a plot point in this episode? Anyway, he also finds a big bag of drugs and then a little bottle that says haloperidol. Um, and Sean throws it at Gus and says, what is this? <laughs> Essentially. Yeah, like what kind of pills are these? And Gus is like, I don't know. I think maybe horse tranquilizers. And then Sean finds a big paper receipt invoice for $5,000 worth of taxidermy and asks us, what do you know about taxidermy? Uh, What don't I know about taxidermy? I am part of a group that is here to abolish the hideous act. Isn't it the second largest group on the internet? (laughs) That sounds about right. So, So Gus not only hates taxidermy, but he also loves animals. We stand. Did you think it was contradictory for him to not be into taxidermy and to love animals? Or No, no. I think that, that they they doubled down in this episode of like yes. Gus's personality of I love episodes. Or I love <laughs> I love episodes. <laughs> of I love animals. We got this a little bit in the Shabby okay. the Sea Lion episode. Yeah, yeah. What could be this $5,000 taxidermy receipt? That owl? Not that beaver. Not that owl. No, it'd be a much larger specimen, like a cougar or like or a gray wolf. Bum bum bum. They have to go back to a cultipus and check on Stu. 
So they go there with Lassie and Jules, and they walk in, and they're like, Willow! And she's like, Black Magic? Stu is not there. Dr. Ken Tucker stopped by and got him because he was very worried that Stu might be a danger to himself or to Willow. Um... He said he was the only one who could help him. Jules is like, um, what does this all mean? And Sean is like, someone is going to die. This is where we get the coyote howling and a blackout. Um, so we're doing a magic head divination session and Gus is looking at on his phone at the pictures that Sean took at the doctor's office to find Polexia's home address. They find the pictures, say the address out loud, tell Lassiter and Juliet to write it down, and then say that she's the one who's dying tonight. Her name is Polexia. And Juliet said, wasn't that Anna Paquin's name in Almost Famous? Willow says, Anna Paquin was in Almost Famous? Full psych out. Uh, Polexia has been having an affair with Dr. Ken Tucker. He tried to end it. But when he tried to end it, she took it badly, and she is going to talk. He's going to lose his practice, his new office, and his wife. And they're like, uh, well, how is he framing Stu? And Sean is like, it's a lot to explain. It's really just better if I catch him in the act. And you let me do my thing. Polexia is somewhere between work at Shangri-La's and that home address that was just given. And uh, Sean is pretty sure that she walks home from work because the buses stop running at 10. That is a terrible idea. Agreed. Also, why would buses stop running at 10? I don't know. But it's a bad idea. I would argue I would argue that buses should be running more at night. I just feel like we should have the infrastructure to have like trains everywhere. That'd be cool. Um, Willow's coming. Oh oh no. Okay, so they're gonna go. Um one of them's gonna start at the house, one of them's gonna start at work, they're gonna find her somewhere in between. Uh Willow's coming with them and riding shotgun. And Hungry Like the Wolf begins to play as they do their search thing. Full Duran Duran, full um, montage. Yes. Uh, so I'm gonna give. I'm gonna do the. I'm gonna do the do montage it, really fast. It. It's Polexia leaving work. There's a full moon. Gus is uh, strategically driving, trying to impress Willow. The showdown between Henry and Butch. Um, oops, I didn't spell Butch. I spelled something else. <laughs> uh, Henry seizes on the germaphobe. She walks out. We get back to Polexia walking through the woods. Gus and Sean are at Shangri-La's. Oh no, where's Polexia? She was feeling sick, so we sent her home. Lassiter and Juliet are at the apartment. She's not there. Lassiter on the phone with Sean saying, we still need to find her. Um, and then Polexia's in the woods. We hear rustling. She's like, oh my god, who's there? And then Dr. Ken Tucker walks up and he's like, I'm so sorry for my insensitivity earlier. He... He really loves his wife, but he also really enjoys having sex with her. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's not going to fix anything like you think it's going to fix anything. Well, darn. And he has a syringe. Yeah, he goes in for the kill and... Oh, thank God for Juliet. Juliet! <laughs> He's like, you don't understand. She's a very sick girl. I was just trying to help her. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. Hands up, gun out. Lassiter is very, very proud of Juliet. Way to do it, partner. And they realize that they realize that Stu is probably somewhere. So 
uh, Gus and Willow go looking for Stu, and Gus Grimm's found Stu! That was impossibly fast! <laughs> he's in a wheelbarrow, and he has a wolf hide covering him. And he's also wearing a diaper. <laughs> Sean puts on the hide first as a symbol to the power and greatness of the Grey Wolf. Gus is disgusted by this whole thing. It's like, it, it, taxidermy is such a disgusting crime. And also the murder, too. Um, but we get a full, full breakdown of all of the Doctor's crimes and plans. Basically, Dr. Ken Tucker needed a patsy. And Stu was the perfect patsy for this situation. He gave him the drugs to knock him out at the witching hour. He snuck into the psych office to steal Stu, steal Stu, um, and knock out the windows, even though Sean and Gus have a double lock on their door. You never locked the door, Sean. He killed the hunters with the same stuff that he was about to use on Polexia, which is probably untraceable. I have a question at this point. He had two perfectly sleeping victims when Stu was knocked out. He could have just trashed the psych office and killed the guys. How terrifying is that? Okay, you're yes, I agree. But I think they that he probably realized that, like the boys would perpetuate this. Stu is the guy is the fall guy person. Oh, because they're a psychic, so you believe in werewolves too. So you're probably gonna believe this crazy story. He snuck into the psych office to steal Stu, and it was gonna. His original plan was to go kill a deer and and make it look like Stu did it. Right. If the crime of opportunity of the hunters was so perfect, why did he take him out of the psych office at all? Like, in, in the entire first place. He was like... Do you think it was because he felt like... He felt like... Stu needed to be in nature to become a werewolf? I don't know. Like, I don't understand. The doctor is such a psychopath. And they did such a good job of this that it makes no sense to a sane mind where I'm like, well, if you wanted to make it look like he was killing things and people and stuff and you weren't actually that picky, the crime of opportunity might have been the sleeping people in the room where you were with <laughs> Stu in the first place. <laughs> he actually used that wood pelt, wolf pelt to like, like wolf up the, the bad guy, like the, not the bad guys, the well, dead guys the after guys. he killed them. Yeah. Um, and then he finally branded Stu with the mark of the demon and left him unconscious only so that he could then kill Polexia and frame Stu. So the branding is really dark, but I looked up what a five-pointed star on one's palm means because your own like lines can do that. And if you find a five-pointed star on your palms, it's supposed to mean you have like an innate connection to like like intuition and spirituality and things like that so it's not like some mark of the beast in any way shape or form Hmm. that's very interesting this is where we get like the oh the hunters were just a a crime of opportunity um and then lassie's like all right boys maybe i should have listened to you from the beginning does that mean you're gonna fix my window (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) and they take the guy away and then Gus and Willow and Sean stand over Stu and just none of this other stuff has woken him up, but just softly going, Stu, 
Thank you. Thank you for doing that. (laughs) Because I was like, how, if if Stu is so knocked out that he wasn't there for, for, for Ken Tucker to like claw up these two hunters who were probably screaming and wailing, how does Stu wake up? Actually wake him up. It's magic of television. Um, so he wakes up. Stu says. <laughs> Stu, Stu goes, where am I? I feel like a baby. That's because you're wearing a diaper. <laughs> but like, he's in a wheelbarrow. And like, he's like, wow, I really didn't do this. We should celebrate. And um, Sean like, suggests celebrating by letting Gus and Willow go uh, do some cauldron stirring together. Well, Willow says, how can I ever thank you guys? And he's like, I suggest that you and Gus get together and maybe do some cauldron stirring. And she's like, I'd like that. And Gus is like, yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> we cut back to the truck and Butch goes you're ruthless, Henry. You are strong of mind, but mean of heart. He goes, but my purpose is 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 pure. I'm not doing this for myself. Uh, I'm doing this for these poor orphans. <laughs> I can't. And uh, we turn around and there is a nun with a whole bunch of orphans. There's orphans. And apparently Butch himself was an orphan who was found by fly fishermen and raised by the good ladies of St. Augustus Thomas or something. And there's there's a reference to Pippi Longstocking from Sean in there. He's going to put a cabin on the back of it so that the kids can fly or the kids can ride in it without flying out the back. Uh, yeah, like a camp, like a camper uh, enclosure on the on the. I still don't think you can like truck kids around in the back of a truck. You can put a camper on it, but sure, because like the, their little their little sedan or whatever busted down, and and his his idea was to win a a pickup truck. Anyway, this this finally gets to Henry, and he gives in. He gives up. Butch wins. All the kids run up to him. They're so excited. And Sean and Gus and Henry just walk away. And Sean's like, you just gave up your dream truck. Henry said, he brought a nun, Sean. Sometimes you have to give one up for the team. I want waffles. I'm tired. I want waffles. Gus is like, I could eat waffles. Sean says, I'm buying. That means I'm buying. You know that's right. And that's our episode. Do you notice that a lot of the time I end up doing the Gus parts and you end up doing the Sean parts? Yeah, I know. What? <laughs> I I try not to do that, and yet I do it. So I do it very often. We both I do it. Like so the sound of my own often. voice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, so there was potentially a pineapple in this episode. But again, I cheated and I still couldn't find it. I, I didn't find one. I was sure that if there was one, it was going to be in the Shangri-La-La scene, but I didn't find anything anywhere. Um, I thought maybe, I thought maybe it would be at the beach with Henry. I thought maybe it would be at a cultipus. No. Um, we got no chief. We got no buzz. I mean, I like this episode a lot. It's fun. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that, like, I wouldn't miss if it wasn't in there. You know what I mean? 
So we could have like these nuts. We could have trimmed fat and added some buzz or cheese, honestly. Yeah. I think this episode is very, very funny. I'm I'm a big fan of this episode. I've been looking forward to it. It's full of faces that we know. It is the like opposite the guest stars of this the episode cursed are for horror real. from last season. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but this it, and it's it, this is, does this does horror theme in a, such a humorous way that I really really like it. But yeah, there are jokes in here that just like aren't worth it. And so, I'm just like, meh. I love our our guest stars. And I love that the villain is the guy they named after the Entertainment Weekly guy. And they keep saying Dr. That Ken is, Tucker. Dr. Ken Tucker. That is a that is a like such a funny jab. And this is the second time we've had a very obvious jab like this. Yeah. Or the third, maybe. Third, I think. Yeah. Um, it's for real. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of this episode. I don't know why we had to objectify Plexia's butt, but I guess it kind of makes sense that they were trying to explain that they were having an affair by her not wearing underwear because she left it with Ken Tucker after he I, dumped her. Yeah, I'm like... This poor woman. <laughs> and there's got to be a better way to be like, we figured out they were having an affair and she was bitter about the breakup and he's a skis ball. Rather than focusing in on her Lululemon wearing buttock so many times. But even her, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Working Moms, but she's a, she's a star of that show. And so like everybody, the only person I didn't recognize from something else was Myrtle. I feel like she's been in other stuff but like yeah she's definitely not as recognizable as the others yeah Ooh. but everyone else i knew i knew everyone else chock full of chock full of uh 80s pop culture guest stars also uh, yeah all i want to do is sing let's get physical as i'm reading the um episode of this or the title of this episode i am really tired today and so my uh my speaking has not been great, so I just want to apologize, listeners, to my lack of being able to string sentences together. And uh, sorry, Kay, because you have to edit no, this you're episode. Totally good. I'm. I mean, I am just getting over having lost my voice earlier this week. So it is what it is, and we're just back, baby. That's. <laughs> yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it. Um, and to end. I am Alexis. He would like a Roy Rogers. That much we know for certain. And I'm Kaylee. Yes, I have the right address. It's the one you divined. And this has been... To, to the, the Blueberry! Psych out.